Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second episode of Saltwater Aquarium Hour here live on Aquarium Talk, live exclusively on American Variety Network. I am one of your hosts, Alice Cardinelli. Now, let me introduce to you the saltwater man with all of the expert for this show, our great co-host, Salty Jay. Hi, Jay. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you very much for being here tonight. Good. How are you doing, Alex? No problem. I'm doing great. How was your uh, weekend? Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, not too bad. I got out for opening uh, weekend of bow season here in New York. Oh, that's pretty good. So tonight we're going to have a a great show. Tonight Jay and I are going to be discussing good fish and good invertebrates that beginners can keep in the saltwater world and much more. Now this is going to be a short and sweet show, but we're going to get right to the point of saltwater fish and invertebrates that are good for beginners. Now, last Tuesday, we introduced this series, the Saltwater Aquarium Hour, and it was a very successful show. We had over 150 listeners, which is pretty high now, and a lot of people enjoyed the show. So I'm glad I created a Saltwater series for this show. And due to the success of the Saltwater Aquarium Hour, I'm happy to announce that last week I actually started my very first saltwater aquarium and that is a 29 gallon aquarium that is actually currently cycling right now and my goal is to have a complete cycle by next month and I should be able to add my pair of clownfish so the goal with this show is to get more and more people involved in the saltwater hobby and I hope that we can accomplish that over time So, if you have any questions about tonight's topic, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142, and we will answer your questions about saltwater fish or saltwater invertebrates. So, our discussion on good saltwater fish and good saltwater invertebrates and everything you should know starts right after our introduction plug. So, don't go anywhere, folks.
You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network, where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. Now let's get on with the show. You are tuned in to Saltwater Aquarium Hour live on Aquarium Talk. Are you a newbie entering into the Saltwater Aquarium hobby? Or are you an experienced saltwater hobbyist looking for something to listen to? Either way, sit back and then be prepared to learn a lot about the Saltwater Aquarium hobby. As Salty J and Alex Cardinale educate you on the Saltwater hobby. Are you ready to learn saltwater? Great, well then let's get live. Okay, so we're ready to start talking about saltwater fish and saltwater invertebrates. Now, this is actually a topic that I actually wanted to talk about as soon as I created the Saltwater Aquarium Hour series, but I figured last week's show was very important. So, if you don't even have a saltwater aquarium tank yet, and you're thinking about creating one, it really is important that you take a listen to last Tuesday's show, where Jay and I talked about cycling a saltwater aquarium, all the equipment you're going to need, the importance of live rock in your aquarium, and all that good information. So if you haven't even got your tank cycled yet, you need to take a listen to that show. So please listen to last Tuesday's Saltwater Aquarium Hour by going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network. So... All these future saltwater shows are going to bounce off of that show because it's going to be focused on beginners. We're going to talk about beginner fish, beginner inverts, beginner corals, and things like that in the future. But tonight, we're going to keep it nice and simple and have a very easy topic for Jay to cover, and that is going to be uh, beginner fish and beginner invertebrates for the saltwater hobby. So let's go ahead and... Get started. So I assume that many beginners start off with a fish only with live rock system. So what is the perfect salinity for a fish only with live rock system, Jay? Uh, ideally, you're going to be about 1.020 to 1.023 salinity. Perfect. And that would be okay for invertebrates too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to go heavy on the inverts, a little higher, maybe like a 1.023 to 1.024, but most inverts can handle it in the uh, anything in the low 220s. 
Awesome. And you could actually uh, get your salinity perfect if you keep toying with it. When you first set up your tank, it's going to take a little while. But once you got it done right, the way you want it, it's going to be fine. Exactly. Awesome. So for beginners starting out, and let's say the tank is ready for fish, meaning the ammonia is at zero and such, how many fish should they add, and what kinds would you recommend, and which ones should they avoid at first? Uh, let's see. We'll take it from the how many. Generally one, no more than two. Uh, types of fish. Generally anything in the damsel family, which clownfish are in the damsel family, chromis are in the damsel family. Uh, they're all fairly hardy. They can handle a newer tank that's not quite mature. Um, fish to stay away from, pretty much any of the angelfish, dwarf, large. Uh, I'd even stay away from a lot, most of the tangs. Uh, you're going to want at least a little bit of a mature system for a lot of those fish. Um, Anthias, dragonettes. It's probably a list longer than your listeners want to listen to. So the easiest thing is if you want to start with your fish, clownfish would be your best bet if that's something that you're looking that you want to put in. Awesome. So clownfish are one of the best fish to start off with. Now, in your opinion, how long does it take for a tank to finally and fully mature? Uh, it honestly varies on each tank system, the amount of live rock, the quality of live rock. On average, a tank's considered mature from usually about a year old and on. So what are your thoughts on the products out there like Microbacter 7? Do you think they actually work where you can put it, put them in there and add some fish? Uh, honest opinion, no. There's really no substitute for time. And patience and time is your friend with salt water. Trying to do it fast isn't usually going to end well for you. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm the old school kind of guy, too, so I agree 100% with you. So let's say a beginner actually went out and purchased a pair of uh, clownfish. Now, how would they actually accumulate them to their, or excuse me, acclimate them to their saltwater tank? Is it similar to freshwater or is it a bit different? Uh it depends on the sensitivity of the organism, fish, or invert that you're adding. Um, it can be as, the exact same as doing fresh water. You would temp acclimate by floating the bag, and then you slowly add water from your tank to the bag. You want to match the chemistry that's going to be in the bag to the chemistry of your tank, and most importantly, you want to match the salinity. Most fish stores keep their salinity low. It's cheaper for them. The less salt they have to put in the water, the less expensive it is. So that's a big thing. You want to make sure that your salinity in your tank matches what you have in the bag. Now, if you want to go the high end, more takes longer, a lot less uh, risk is what they call drip acclimation. You pour the fish, invert whatever you happen to be doing into a bucket. You take your airline tubing, tie a knot in it, and you create a very slow siphon. By slow, I mean that the water literally drips into the bucket from your tank. Usually takes about two to three hours. has the same effect. It's much slower. It's much easier on the critter that you're trying to acclimate. 
Awesome. Very good to, to hear. So would you actually recommend people use the drip acclimation method instead of the float back method? Uh, I've never used the drip acclimation method. Um, I don't keep anything that's overly sensitive. If you do the float bag method correctly, you're fine. If you don't want to have to constantly be emptying a bag of water once it's full and vice versa, the drip method, it's going to take hours for a five-gallon bucket if that's what you're doing it in to overflow. So you could literally set it up and forget it, if you will, for the time that it's doing it. But for me, I just float them and add a little water as I go. Awesome. Sounds good. So let's say a, a person's tank isn't fully cycled. What would you do if you added a new fish to a cycling or immature aquarium? Should one do a small water change upon adding like a pair of clownfish to a tank that isn't fully mature? Uh, mature tank and cycled tanks are two different things. As long as the tank is cycled, meaning the nitrogen cycle has flown its course, you can add your two fish, one fish, however you want to do it. From that point on, you're going to want to test your water. Um, if it's a larger tank, probably 55, 75 gallons and up, every other day is fine. And if you're in a smaller tank, you're going to want to test it daily. And what you're looking for is the ammonia to start creeping up. This once During the cycling process, you don't want to do a water change. You want everything to build up because then it's going to fall. But once you add live organisms to the tank, you need to make sure that the ammonia and the nitrate and nitrite doesn't get too high. So that would be when you're testing. If it shows that something's getting up there, you'd want to do a small water change to keep it in lower levels. Awesome. Very good to know. So I know people want and love invertebrates, such as myself, but should invertebrates be one of the last things to add so that way an aquarium is matured? What's your take on this matter? Uh, pretty much anybody you talk to is going to suggest you add a cleanup crew to a new tank. Uh, clean up, a cleanup crew is essentially every one of them is an invertebrate. It's snails, it's shrimp, it's crabs. And the, as it says, they're all invertebrates. So you can even throw clams in there if you want as the mollusks. Um, you're okay. If, you, if you're testing your waters and everything's coming back clear, you can add certain inverts. Where inverts get tricky is certain ones need certain things. Like in enemies, for example, they need extremely good lighting. They need high light output. The average beginning Aquarius isn't going to have lights even close to capable to taking on an anemone. Yet snails, crabs, shrimp, they don't care if the lights are on or off. Most of them are nocturnal anyway. Very good. Some good information. So there are a lot of uh, good beginner inverts out there. And the cleanup crew sounds actually pretty good because you get the cleaner shrimp. And there's a lot of snails, hermit crabs. So there's a lot of good beginner inverts. So which which inverts would you recommend right away for beginners? Uh, if you're looking to keep hermit crabs, they're a good starter. Um, 
shrimp-wise, if you're going to go with shrimp, I like peppermint shrimp. Um, personally, I like skunk cleaner shrimp. The reason I say I'd recommend peppermint shrimp over them is peppermint shrimp are about a third of the cost. You can get peppermint shrimp for $8, $9. You're going to looking at about 30 to 35 for a cleaner shrimp. Um, as long as your nitrates are low, you should have no problem with shrimp at all. They are nitrate sensitive, though. So if you have elevated nitrates, you could have an issue. So what are your thoughts on the fire shrimp? Those are actually my personal favorite shrimps. <laughs> How'd I know they'd be coming up? Um, they're gorgeous looking. The biggest knock against them is they're very nocturnal. You could have one in your tank and never see it unless you use it a flashlight at night after you turn off the lights. Uh, sounds like a lot of freshwater fish that I've kept over the years, so probably wouldn't have too much of an issue with that. Yeah, it's personal choice, honestly. They are, they're a gorgeous-looking shrimp. Now, are you able to actually mix shrimp species, or is it like a one shrimp per tank kind of deal? Uh, with very few exceptions, you can mix shrimp. You can put uh, pemperpins in with cleaners. I'm sorry, skunk cleaners. Uh, you can put peppermints, bloods, or the fire, as they're also called, uh, together. The only time you can have issues is with coral-banded shrimp, which I do not recommend. Everybody likes them. They're nasty, nasty little shrimp. Um, and mantis shrimp. But mantis shrimp aren't something that you're normally going to see for sale in aquariums. They're generally a hitchhiker in live rock and such. Awesome. So I'll probably mix like fire shrimp and cleaner shrimp in my tank. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So let's chat about the most popular saltwater fish, in my opinion, and that is the clownfish. Now, clownfish are actually one of the most popular beginner fish for the saltwater world because of the movie Finding Nemo, and Nemo, of course. Now, nine times out of ten, most people will enter the saltwater hobby just for clownfish, a.k.a. Nemo. So, in your opinion and your experience, what are some things beginners need to know about clownfish? Uh, in general, clownfish are easy to take care of. They're captive raised, which just basically means they're hatched in captivity. They're not wild caught. There's designer clownfish. There's black clownfish. There's, honestly, there's probably 60 or 70 different types and varieties of clownfish out there. Um, if you want a snowflake clown, they're out there. If you want a mist bar or gold bar clown, they're out there. Um, they sim simply put, they're probably the most easily accessible fish in the saltwater industry. They're probably one of the easiest to keep. And in most cases, they will mix well with any other fish you plan on keeping, as long as, obviously, it's not intending to eat them. Awesome. I, I love those uh, snowflake clownfish that you brought up. I actually see a pair at my fish store, and they're actually very nice. So hopefully my fish store should be able to bring in, like, one-inchers because I love the snowflake clowns. Yeah, they're, when they first came out, they were very popular. They were quite expensive, too, but they've started coming down now. Yeah, my fish store actually has uh, one of the recently new strains available now, and that's the Lightning Maroon Clown. Those are very cool, too. 
Uh, maroon clowns are one of my favorites. They're, I wouldn't necessarily recommend... Oh, I shouldn't say that. They're beginner fish, but they're not a pairing clownfish, meaning most people like clowns. They like to get a pair. You're going to have your male and your female. With maroons, they mature very young, and it's very hard to get a pair of them without one just going ballistic and taking the other one out. Oh, so they're almost like me. They can't get along with another person, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Mine gets along fine with other fish, but I would not try it with another clown or another maroon clown for that matter. Oh, that's cool. Well, if you wanted one clownfish in your tank, I'm a room for you then. Yes, and they get, as far as clownfish standards, they get pretty big. They will get up to four and a half, five inches. Oh, wow, that's pretty big for a clownfish. Yes, they are one of the bigger clowns. I must say, though, the, the maroon clownfish is actually quite beautiful with that dark red and those gold stripes and white stripes. They're very neat-looking fish. Yes, they are. And if you, when you look at the contrast, their eyes, they have just a, it's a different color in the eyes totally, too. They don't, aside from the white stripes or the gold stripe, they don't really look like an average clownfish if you really look at them in detail. Yeah, I heard they're actually a much different species than the old Celeris or Procula clownfish. Yes, those are the two most common. Yeah, I like the maroon clown. Maybe I'll set up another tank if they have one of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty much what I did. So if a beginner wants a clownfish to pair up, which, which species actually pairs up? Which ones can you have two of? Uh, the two you just mentioned, the Ocellaris and the Pacula are your two easiest. They're going to be your two least expensive. And as far as the aggression table, there's two of the most docile. Oh, that's very good to know. And with the Ocellaris and Pacula, you've got a variety of different uh, kinds, like the Snowflake, the Mocha, the Black Ice. The list goes on. I think if I sat here naming them all, take us an hour. You're not too far off. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a good reason why um, those two are the pairing ones because they got so many varieties of them. That's it. They're easy to pair, and therefore it's just a lot easier to breed them. Awesome. So, what is the recommended tank size for a clownfish? Uh, most people will tell you for a pair of clowns, minimums twenty gallons. Oh, so you really won't need a huge tank like most other fish, so you can probably start off with a 20-gallon and work your way up. Yeah, definitely. Clowns, they're very territorial per se, meaning they will, once they settle in, they pick a spot in your tank, and very rarely do they venture very far from that spot. You could have a 100-gallon tank, and they may only utilize 10 or 12 inches of it. Oh, that's pretty cool. So would you actually be able to have like a little school of Ocellaris clowns or Procula clowns if you had a huge tank? Uh, If you had a big enough tank, yes, and you added them at the same time. That's the key to a lot of saltwater stuff is if you're going to add similar to the same species, you have to add them at the same time. Very, very good to know. So if you do have a large tank, and you wanted to add clownfish, make sure you buy them all at the same time. 
So could you actually mix like a snowflake clown and a regular old Celeris together? Could try. I'm not going to tell you it will work. I'm not going to tell you it wouldn't work. Um, If you added them at the same time, if they were both fairly small in size, it's possible it would work. The issue with clowns is they're all born male. The more dominant one, which turns into the larger fish, turns female. So if you happen to have two clownfish that are both fairly good size, more than likely you have two females. That will not work. One or the other will kill the other one. Oh, that sucks. So it's almost like human life. Two females always result in fights. Yep, that's pretty much what it is. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. So make sure you guys buy smaller clownfish and grow them out together. So I pretty much think yep. we've we've covered everything as far as clownfish are concerned, and we'll do an entire show on clownfish in the future. But besides clownfish and damsels, what are some other good beginner fish? Uh, beginners, probably, let's see. Your yellow tang would be a decent one. Uh, everybody's got them. The nice thing with them is, as far as tangs go, they don't get huge. They still need a good-sized tank. You're looking around a minimum. Some people will disagree. I think a six-foot tank is ideal, which is usually you're going to get you into about a 100 to 125-gallon tank. Um, myself, I'm a Nasso tang fan. I've got a Nasso tang, I've got a unicorn tang, and I've got a yellow tang. They're great fish. In my opinion, they're very easy to keep. As long as you quarantine tangs, they're ick magnets because they don't have a heavy slime coating on their body. So if you quarantine them and you put a healthy tang into a disease-free tank, they're very easy fish to take care of. The hardest thing with a tang is making sure you have a healthy fish. Quarantine it. Anything pops up, you can treat it. And I've never had issues keeping tangs. Um, dwarf angels are fairly easy. You get into like a flame angel, they're a little touchier. They need a little bit more of a mature system because they're primarily algae eaters. New tanks just don't have a lot of algae in them yet for them to graze on. Oh, that's that's very cool. I actually saw a lot of dwarf angels at my fish store. I actually saw some that I was particularly interested in. One was a bicolor, a bicolor angelfish, and the other one was a uh, small cherub angelfish, a.k.a. the pygmy angelfish. I think dwarf angels are pretty cool. Yes, they are. And they're not like the larger family of angels that need 200-gallon-plus tanks. They're not going to get 12, 18 inches. Um, I've had a couple coral beauties. I've had a lemon peel angel. Coral beauty, if you were, for true beginners, if your tank is, I want to say, three, four, five, six months old, you shouldn't have a problem keeping, say, a coral beauty. They're actually a fairly hardy angel. Um Color variety varies greatly, though. Just because it's a coral beauty, 
some are oranger than others, some have more purple on them than others. So it's really check out a few. If you don't happen to like the color of one, wait till a different one comes in. More than likely, it's going to look different. So are there any, like, dwarf angels that can live, like, a in a 29-gallon or a 40-gallon breeder? Uh, probably, you could probably do almost any one dwarf, with a few exceptions. Um, Coral Beauty, you'd be fine. Lemon Peel, you'd probably be fine. The issue is, going that small, you're not going to be able to have a lot of fish with them just because they are somewhat more sensitive to the water chemistry. So the less fish you have in the tank, the better your chemistry is going to be. But you could do it. You could do one in a 29. That's what I was planning on doing. I was planning on having one angel, one dwarf angel, a pair of clowns, and a goby, and the rest would just be invertebrates. You should be okay. Now, for aggression reasons, I would add the dwarf angel last. They tend to be territorial, so unless you're adding a larger fish after them, you generally want to put them in first. But with a 29-gallon tank, you shouldn't be adding anything large. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I definitely agree 100% with you on that. Yeah, I was actually going to wait until, like, March to add my angel just to make sure my tank is mature enough. That's, enough, that's a good idea. You should definitely be good by then. Yeah. So I'll probably do like a pair of uh, clownfish, a yellow watchman goby, and then one of those angels, and then my fire shrimp that I love so much. That's not a bad idea. Awesome. So speaking of uh, of gobies, let's talk about the saltwater goby. Now, ever since I've been in the aquarium hobby, I loved gobies. Now, with freshwater, you really don't have an option to own a goby. And when I finally decided about going saltwater, gobies and clownfish and a flame angel played a huge role in my decision to go saltwater. Now, saltwater is home to many awesome gobies, but most specifically the shrimp gobies. And I saw this past weekend a documentary on YouTube uh, talking about the symbiotic relationship between the pistol shrimp and the shrimp gobies. I thought that was pretty interesting. So, with that being said, are gobies a good beginner fish? And if so, which ones would you recommend? Um, the quick answer is yes. Uh, there's a lot of gobies out there that are very easy to take care of. There's some that aren't so easy to take care of. Um, if you were to Google goby, there's a plethora of them that's going to pop up. Your yellow watchman, golden sleeper-headed, Hector's gobies, Rainford's gobies. Um, the list just goes on and on. The biggest issue beginners want to watch for is if you're going to get a sand-sifting goby, they're the ones that sift the sand. What they're doing that for is they're eating what's living in your sand bed. We call it the microfauna. If you have a new tank, there is nothing living in your sand bed. So they're not getting any nutritional value from that. So you can do one of two things. You can go with gobies that are prone more so to eat prepared food, or you ask whatever fish store you're buying your gobies from, feed them. And as long as the sand sifters 
are actually eating and consuming the food, you'll be fine. And what, what I mean by consuming is you'll see them sometimes grab it, and in the filtering process, it just comes out the gill because they don't re- recognize it as food. It's not a normal food to them. So it can be somewhat of an issue with some of the sand sifting gobies. Um, myself, I've had Hector's gobies. They're a smaller, maybe a two-inch goby. They're a small sand sifter, but he would eat anything frozen that I gave him. I now have a golden sleeper-headed goby, much bigger goby. He's probably five to six inches. Eats anything in the tank. He even eats the seaweeds that I give to my tanks. Um, so they're fairly easy. You just when you purchase it, you want to kind of get an idea, have them feed them, make sure that they're eating already prepared and frozen foods. Awesome. Yeah, gobies are a very interesting fish. I think that a lot of people in the saltwater hobby respect and uh, love gobies, and I do too as well. So I can't wait to figure out which goby is uh, right for me. I was actually thinking about getting a diamond goby, but when I, once I figured out that it's a sand shifting goby, I said, nah, I think it's too small for a diamond goby. <laughs> uh, they're gorgeous looking, but you're probably right. They get decent size. Yeah. Yeah, when I get my 55-gallon or 75-gallon one day, I'll have a diamond goby, but I'll probably stick with my Watchman gobies now. Well, I'm actually glad you said that about the the diamond goby. I should mention, sand-sifting gobies, the name should say it all, but some people don't get the connection. They sift sand. If you're one of those people that used a crushed coral substrate instead of sand, it's not going to work out well for your gobies. You need sand, a sand bottom tank for them to sift. Even if they're not eating what's in there, it's still they're still going to sift, which is actually really good for your sand bed. It keeps it aerated. It keeps bad stuff from building up. But if you have crushed coral, which I don't recommend anyway, but if you do, you don't want to get a sand sifting goby. Very good. That's a very good point to uh, point out. Now, another fish that I see a lot of in my fish store that I really have grown interested in are Blennies. I think they have an outstanding personality. I've actually been watching a lawnmower Blenny at my local fish store, and I think he's got the best personality. Now, are these a good beginner fish, and what should beginners know about Blennies? Uh, certain Blennies, yes. Certain Blennies, no. Uh, algae blennies, like you're talking about, honestly, I've had 50-50 experience with both of them. I had one that absolutely refused to eat anything besides algae. Once the algae's gone, he wound up dying. I have one now that'll eat algae strips. He'll eat frozen food. He's, he looks like a fat pig on auction day. I mean, he just eats and eats <laughs> and eats. What causes that? I have no idea. Why would one eat and one wouldn't? I don't know. Um, It's not necessarily a hard one to find, but one that is a strict meat eater will eat frozen foods is the Midas Blenny. A lot of personality, nice color, but I don't know what it is lately. They've been fairly scarce. I've actually been uh, researching the Starry Blenny. I was actually thinking about picking up one of them. What are your thoughts on the Starry Blenny? 
Uh, similar to the Midas, they generally don't have the algae-based need, so they generally adapt fairly well to uh, aquarium life. Um, I haven't seen a lot of them, but the ones I've seen have looked fairly nice. Yeah, that's the that's the only other kind that my local fish store has right now, and it's like a huge price increase from the algae uh, blenny. I also I actually did see a Midas blenny too, but it was in the display tank, so I'm not sure if it was for sale or not. <laughs> Generally, display no, but some places, if you're willing to pay for it, they'll give you anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's even online. If you you look online, a lot of places just haven't had the Midas blennies. And, I mean, they're really nice fish. Anybody I've talked to that's had them loves the personality of them. It's just, I think it's a blenny thing. A lot of blennies just have personality. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. Now, I'm actually glad we're talking about gobies and uh, blennies because that's going to bring you right to my next topic. And... Unfortunately, I'm going to be the guy that has to bring it up, and I may get some hate or disrespect. Heck, I might even get cussed out later on. Who knows how far and how crazy my listeners will go. But it goes without saying that the uh, Mandarin Dragonette is not a beginner fish by any means. Uh, I was actually on Facebook today, and I saw an article uh, pointing out details of how a beginner could keep a Mandarin Dragonette. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to get people to buy uh, Mandarin Dragonettes as a beginner and they're going to fail miserably. But this fish is truly an outstandingly beautiful fish. However, it should be reserved for the experts. Even I know that this fish is not a beginner fish after going on some of the great forms like uh, saltwaterfish.com and the great saltwater forms. But I was one of the first beginners to think I could have one, but my research has shown me that this is a fish that can only be handled by the experienced fish keepers. So, could you explain to us a bit more in detail why the Mandarin Dragonette and other Dragonettes are not beginner fish? They're easy. No, I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> I have, I believe, 12 Dragonettes. Um, the hard, the reason they're hard is in nature, they only eat copepods. What the hell is he talking about? What's a copepod? <laughs> it's a microscopic orga- organism. Yeah, I shouldn't say microscopic. It's very small. Um, most commonly it's on good quality live rock. You put live rock in your tank, even your tank's mature, turn your lights off some night take a flashlight after a couple hours, you'll see all these little critters crawling around on your glass. Those are copepods. Those are the only things these fish eat. You'll see mandarins listed as mandarin blennies. You'll see them as listed as gobies. Scooter blenny, a little brown and white jobber, likes to hop around on the stand. Not a, he's not a blenny at all. He's a dragonette. The newest thing lately you're going to see are ruby red dragonettes. They're basically looking like, they look like a scooter blenny, but they're really bright red. They have black and yellow on them. Gorgeous fish. Again, their main diet is copepods. What happens is these places just wholesalers stock up on these fish. 
and they don't eat. They don't recognize anything we're going to give them as food. And wholesalers don't care. They're selling them to the fish stores. So nine times out of ten, the ones you're seeing at the fish store are so far gone already, you could have a tank full of copepods, and it's just it's too late for the fish to begin with. So even though you have food, it's still not going to work for you. Yeah, I think that's really sad. And I, in my opinion, I think that these are fish that could be reserved and kept in the wild. What are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. Um, they're a gorgeous fish. I'm not joking when I say I have them in every one of my tanks. There's certain steps. There's certain procedures. There's ways of keeping them. But... Honestly, they sh- there's no way they should be collected the way they're collected or in the numbers they're collected. Um, ORA does breed them. They're captively braised. They're pretty much programmed from hatching to start accepting prepared foods. The issue with them is they're hard to find, and they're double to triple the price of what you would normally pay for one. Oh, that's 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 definitely a, an icebreaker for me. Now, are there any ones that are more easier to keep than others? Are they pretty much all hard to keep? Uh, there's a couple different names it goes by, but the two most popular are a target dragonette or a spotted dragonette or a mandarin. Um, light olive green body with spots on them. Um, I do not recommend mixing them with any dragonette, any other mandarins, I'm sorry. Um, As far as mandarins go, they're fairly aggressive with each other. But that aggression leads them to be fairly aggressive eaters. So it's a little easier to train them to eat frozen food. Um, Scooter blennies, the little brown guys, they're not terrible to train issue is you have to get one that's not pretty much starved to death already. The green ones, the one everybody likes with the, they call them psychedelic. They've got the striping and all the colors. Unfortunately, they're one of the hardest ones to train and to get to eat frozen food. That's true. And I was actually shocked to see that my local fish tour had those ones that everyone loved for like forty dollars. That was kind of cheap compared to how much they usually go for online. Really, they were forty. Yeah, thirty nine ninety nine. But they were really small too. Oh, huh, that's actually that's it's. I don't I don't get it why, but a lot of it's regional. It depends what part of the country you're in. Um, I think normally I get them for about nineteen to twenty three. Yeah, up here a lot of our fish are are overpriced, but. I have to say that our small clownfish are like seventeen ninety nine, so that's not too bad. No, that's not bad at all. But again, it's, there's so many of them, that's why it is so cheap. Yeah, I noticed my uh, my fish store when they get saltwater fish in, a lot of their fish are really small, like half an inch to an inch, compared to some of the freshwater stuff. It's actually a good thing that you're bringing up the size of fish. Not that it has much to do with dragonets or clownfish um there's definitely 
a certain size range for most fish you want to go for. Uh, you don't want anything that's super small, and you also don't want anything that's really fairly big. And by big, usually anything over eight or nine inches, nothing smaller than usually about an inch. Uh, clownfish are a little different because three-quarters to an inch, you're probably okay. But if you see the really small clowns, like a quarter, half inch, even those guys a lot of the time, they just, for whatever reason, they just usually don't wind up making it. And that's very, very good advice that you uh, gave up. So you just recommend people going with an inch and a half to two-inch fish, right? Uh, in general. Now, the issue you're going to have with clowns is if you, I, if it was me to pick out a pair of clownfish, I'm going to want one maybe around three-quarter to an inch and one about an inch and a half, inch and three-quarter. The reason for that is the bigger one's going to be female. The smaller one's going to be male. You're paired. You're done. You don't have to worry about it. If you get two of them that are inch and a half, inch and three-quarter, your chances of getting two females increases. And as we looked at before, that isn't going to end well. Very, very good. Now we actually have a caller here on the Saltwater Aquarium Hour. So let's go ahead and uh, bring him on the show. Hi, you're now live on this week's Saltwater Aquarium Hour. Thank you very much for calling in. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Donovan. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, man. I got a a few uh, comments and questions for you guys. Okay, cool. Let's hear them. All right. Um, We were talking about the goby earlier. I had a Mandarin goby, and I got them for $30. That's like $10 over price, from what I understand you guys were just talking. And he actually took on frozen food really well and really fast. Like, it was... It was within probably a week, and he was eating frozen brine shrimp. And, I mean, was is it, was I just lucky at that situation, or was, were they probably feeding them frozen brine shrimp? Uh, let me ask you this. Do you still have them? I do not. I gave them to my cousin today, actually. Okay, but he, he was still alive. Yeah, I've had him for at least a month and a half or so. Ah, okay. This is no fault of anybody's. This is why I try not to go into too much detail. It's just easier saying they're hard to keep. Brine shrimp is the primary food that will get them to eat frozen. The issue with brine shrimp is frozen anyway has virtually no nutritional value. Uh, if you can get If you can get live brine shrimp because they're alive, They have certain amino acids, and that gives them some value. But now just because he's eaten, he could eat a block of brine shrimp a week. Internally, he's not getting the nutritional value. So what you want want to do is you start them on brine. That gets them realizing that they'll eat frozen food. Then you step it up to other frozen foods like cyclopeas, and ideally, mice shrimp. Mice shrimp is loaded with nutritional value. If they're eating frozen mice, you'll have absolutely no problems keeping a mandarin alive. Oh, okay. Uh, that's good to know. I'll have to get with, with my cousin and tell him about that. I had to get rid of them because I didn't want my uh, my panther grouper to eat them. So 
Ah, yes, the panther grouper, man. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes, he would have eaten them. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of worried about that, and I gave my other clownfish that did not get eaten to him today, so. (laughs) Okay, very good. Um, I do have another kind of crazy question. When you have, say, Mars Aqua lights, LED lights on your tank, and you've got this brown algae growing like crazy, what causes that? What uh, do you run your lights at night? I uh, mean, I just run them. I should ask, like the blue light, or do you just run the straight white light? Both during the day. Okay. How many hours would you say? Probably from 8 o'clock to uh, 9 or 10. Oh, geez. Okay. So you're over 12 hours of light. Is that too much? That, yes. <laughs> um, honestly, you could never put a light on your tank and your fish could care less. You, on the other hand, want to be able to see your fish. Well, no, um, I have I have coral in there. Ah. Then you're in, let's see, what's the proverbial creek you're up? No. <laughs> if you, uh, it's one of the issues with reefers, reef tanks, is the okay. lighting needed can cause excessive algae growth. You could go with an algae scrubber, fairly popular. You can go with macroalgae. It outcompetes generally the normal algae for the nutrients. By nutrients, oh. it's feeding it's feeding off the nitrates, ammonia, and all that good stuff that's in your tank. Or you oh. just use an algae cleaner and you clean the tank every couple of days. No, it's an everyday thing. Like I can go to work and then. Like that night, I can clean it, come go to work, come home, and it is thick again. Really? It's bad. <laughs> yeah. What do your nitrates read? Have you ever tested uh, your nitrate? Yeah, I do have a test kit, but I haven't tested it in a couple of days. Um, my nitrates, I guess, was high because I put it on the Facebook, and they said it was that was. They asked me what the hell was going on in my tank. <laughs> so <laughs> that would explain the algae. Um, that's what it's feeding off of. It loves high nitrate. So without knowing, like ripping through everything that you do with your tank, if you can find the source of the high nitrate and get that down, that should start to alleviate the algae issue. Okay. That works. I I appreciate the uh, comment on that. I was just kind of curious about that. So uh, my next thing is we were talking about invertebrates, you know, what should we have as beginners? Well, we all know that I'm a beginner as well. So my question is, what would help keep the algae be on the rocks and things of that sort? My question first is, do you plan on keeping your panther grouper? Yes. <laughs> okay, then. No inverts. Okay. Uh, what about snails? I, that would probably be your best option. I don't know if he would try to eat them, honestly. And if he did eat them, you could have to worry about an impaction issue where he might oh, yeah. be able to digest the shell. Um, if okay. you want to try it, I would recommend Mexican turbo snails. They're big. Okay. Okay. And they, and they <clears throat> eat pretty good amounts of algae, probably. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll clean a whole tank in a couple of days. 
Oh, wow. Okay. I will definitely look into that. Awesome. Okay, well, I'll let you guys get back to your show. I, I appreciate the, uh, the the answers that you give me this evening. Oh, no problem. Have a good night. Bye, right, you too. Have a good night, Alex. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate your call. You had some uh, wonderful questions. All right. You have a good one. You too. Thank you so much for calling in. Okay, so a great start to today's show. We're actually going to go ahead and cut to our first intermission for the show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about quarantining your new saltwater fish purchases. And we'll talk about the overall health of your saltwater. And we'll talk about some fish you should not buy at the fish store and all that good stuff. So stick around. Our second episode of Saltwater Keepers Hour is continuing right after our intermission. And during its intermission, we're going to hear one song by Enrique Iglesias called Hero. And then we're going to play our audio files, and then we will be right back. So tonight's episode of Saltwater Aquarium Hour is brought to you by saltwaterfish.com, a wonderful saltwater fish form. I want you guys to go check it out and join, and I'll help you with all your saltwater questions. We'll be right back after a quick infomercial, and we're going to continue our discussion on good saltwater fish and invertebrates. Would you dance if I asked you to dance? Would you run and never look back? Would you cry if you saw me crying? And would you save my soul tonight? Would you tremble if I touched your lips? you laugh Oh please tell me this Now would you die For the one you love Hold me in your arms Tonight I can be your hero baby I can kiss away Thank you. 
like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow. Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is 
American Variety Network at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. While you're here listening to this show on Blog Talk Radio, feel free to check out some of the other great shows Blog Talk Radio has to offer. There are shows for everyone, whether it be sports shows, politics shows, comedy shows, talk shows, and yes, even church religious shows. Become a loyal listener of Blog Talk Radio. Today, blogtalkradio.com. Happy Halloween from Alex Cardinali and all of us here at the American Variety Network. We hope that your month is full of tricks and treats as well as plenty of scariness. Don't forget to enjoy some delicious candy this Halloween season. The American Variety Network suggests Reese's, Kit Kat, Snickers, and some Oreos for delicious Halloween treats. Make sure you have your candy ready for trick or treating. Happy Halloween! to the American Variety Network. Your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. Now let's get on with the show. You are tuned in to Saltwater Aquarium Hour live on Aquarium Talk. Are you a newbie entering into the Saltwater Aquarium hobby? Or are you an experienced saltwater hobbyist looking for something to listen to? Either way, sit back and then be prepared to learn a lot about the Saltwater Aquarium hobby. As Salty J and Alex Cardinale educate you on the Saltwater hobby. Are you ready to learn saltwater? 
great. Well, then let's get live. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Saltwater Aquarium Hour right here on the American Variety Network and Aquarium Talk. Tonight, I have my wonderful co-host, Salty J, with me, and we are discussing good saltwater fish and good saltwater invertebrates for beginners. And before our intermission, we talked about all of the good fish species, such as clownfish, blennies, and gobies. And we also talked about some of the good saltwater invertebrates for uh, saltwater beginners. And we also had a great caller. Now we're getting ready to talk about the last few things you need to know as a beginner in terms of saltwater fish and invertebrates. Now, again, a reminder, if you have any questions, please feel free to dial in at 1-347-989-8142. And right now, I'd like to get back into our wonderful discussion on the lovely saltwater aquarium hobby and saltwater fish. Now, as a fish keeper, all fish keepers should know that when you purchase an aquarium fish, it is very important that you quarantine them, whether it's a freshwater fish, a brackish water fish, or a saltwater fish. You always, always have to quarantine a fish. So, Jay, how should someone quarantine their saltwater fish? Oh, we must we must be having technical issues here. I apologize for that. Uh, my studio is actually frozen right now, so I'm gonna try and uh, get back into my studio now. But as I was saying, it is very important to quarantine any new fish that you are um, going to be purchasing. Come on. Yeah, I'm having technical issues again here. Shoot. All right. I'm going to have to... Let's try this again. My studio is acting up now. Okay. Yes, this is, this is the beauty of uh, live internet radio, isn't it? Come on, man. Oh, this sucks. In the middle of a saltwater show, you've got to act up, right? You can't act up during last night's show. I apologize, folks. Please bear uh, with us as I try to get back in my studio. Come on, man. All right, let me close down all my tabs. What is wrong at my studio? Man, this is... Come on, Blog Talk Radio. What's wrong with you? Come on, man. So I, I apologize once again. I'm going to try to get this up and running. I clean, maybe I'll clean my cookies on the computer. 
Don't you hate uh, live podcasts with all the technical issues that come with it? So probably in the archive file, you might not hear this. I don't know if I'm going to decide to leave this on, but maybe I will just so you see that all of my podcasts are broadcast live. Come on. I hope he doesn't hang up now. Goddamn BTR and her stupid technical issues. Ay, ay, ay. This is like the first time all this year I've had an issue with my studio. And it, and it picks the worst show to actually act up. Oh, here we go. I think I'm back in my studio now. Come on. I hate this computer. Man, this is taking forever. Okay, give me a few more minutes. If we don't get this back at 10.17, I'm probably going to go ahead and uh, either redo this show or reschedule it or something. I do I do sincerely apologize for the technical issues tonight. I don't know why it's doing this. Okay, we are... Okay, we are finally back, and uh, let's get back to our topic here. I do apologize for all the technical issues that took place. So let's get back to our question. Hello, are you still there? Yeah, I can hear you now. I'm sorry about that. My studio just froze. That's okay, bud. Um, let's see. You want to know about quarantining salt water? Yes. Okay. Uh, basically it's about the same as fresh water. Um, ideally you want to buy healthy fish, but some things can be hidden. You're not going to notice it. Uh, for myself, I usually like to use a 40 breeder tank for uh, saltwater quarantine. It's a good size tank. If you're quarantining some larger fish, like tangs and stuff like that, it doesn't cause undue stress by being confined into a smaller tank. Um, honestly, it's pretty basic. Bare bottom, no sand, no nothing. A couple pieces of PVC pipe that the fish can hide in, a heater, and a filter. Um, you can either use a hang-on-the-back filter or just your normal run-of-the-mill sponge filter. And it's very important to quarantine your saltwater fish because un- unlike the freshwater fish, your local fish store is not going to have a guarantee on them. So you've you got to make sure you quarantine them to get rid of any illnesses or parasites they have. Definitely, because the worst thing you can do is, is introduce an infected fish into your normally healthy tank. 
Very well said. Now, when a beginner or somebody is looking to purchase a saltwater fish from a fish store, what are some signs of a healthy fish? So, in other words, what should a customer look for in a fish that they want to buy? Uh, first and foremost, you want to make sure it's eating. Um, asking isn't necessarily always enough. Ask to actually see it eat. You want them to feed the fish. Um, you don't want to see any clamped fins. Basically the same stuff you look for in freshwater. Uh, no missing scales, no chunks obviously taken out of its body. Its fins in decent shape. Now, fins can be a little different. Um, if you've got a fish that otherwise looks fine, but maybe his tail's a little beat up or you know something like that, that's going to heal. But you just don't want a fish that physically looks like it's been beat to hell. Very good. And it should also be very hard to catch. I know that a saltwater fish in a tank filled with live rock, it should be very hard to catch unless it's like a fish that doesn't swim around right or fast or very active. Is that true? Oh, it's you you catch a freshwater fish and then you try to catch a saltwater fish it's ridiculous there if you if you that's one of the main reasons you should quarantine a fish because the minute you put a sick fish in your regular tank good luck getting it out from all the live rock and stuff that you have in a tank so one of the reasons i actually think that saltwater fish are a little bit more expensive than uh, freshwater fish is because of the fact that they're harder to catch. But that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> it, probably, it might have something to do with it. Because <laughs> a lot of the workers are lazy. <laughs> this is true. Oh. <laughs> so I noticed that a lot of my fish tags or the fish store tags at the fish store say, a lot of them say O-R-A. So what does ORA stand for? ORA, it's basically a company that farms aquacultures. ORA stands for Oceans, Reefs, and Aquariums. They're responsible for breeding dragonets, mandarins. Um, they dabble, I believe, in some of the different tangs. Um, they do a lot of aquaculturing of corals. So we're not collecting corals from uh, the wild. And it's just basically it's, they do tank raised stuff. Uh, they usually do pretty good stuff. They usually are a little more pricey. Um, personally, I think they sell, or at least their name's on, uh, some of the better foods that are out there. But if you can get an ORA bred mandarin dragonette, um, you're in pretty good shape because those fish are usually pretty good. They're willing to eat whatever you give them. And ORA is just pretty is a good company. Awesome. So pretty much ORA is like a company that does captive bread fish and it actually helps preserve the fish in the wild. Yes. They try to subsidize wild caught with captive raised fish and inverts and stuff of that nature. By inverts, I'm meaning corals and stuff like that. Oh, that's pretty good. So that's probably where, where most of my fish come from in the fish store. So they probably have a lot of captive bred marine stuff now. I don't know. Eh, it's a lot better than it used to be. A lot of um, blennies are starting to raise captive now. A lot of dotty backs. 
um, pretty much all clownfish are captive now. That's good. I bet you if you found a wild caught or celeris or a wild caught for Q, that'll cost you a lot. Uh, it's honestly, it's only slightly different now. Um, generally, they're by catches because so many places have captive, they don't specifically target clownfish in the wild much anymore. Oh, that's very good to know. Now, another yeah, good that's... thing to know. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, you're fine. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say another good thing to know about fish in general is illnesses, but I know that saltwater fish illness differs greatly from freshwater. So what are some of the most common saltwater saltwater illnesses, and how do you cure them? Uh, the most common, the most prevalent, and the biggest pain in the butt is saltwater ick. Um, it is absolutely nothing like freshwater ick. Um, turning up the temperature of the tank, Obviously, adding salt does nothing, and the water temperature does nothing to it. There's two ways you can get rid of it. Um, one is to treat with copper. The other is to use hyposalinity, which means you lower the salinity level to a point that doesn't kill the fish, but it kills the ick parasite. Basically, it explodes. It can't handle such a low salinity. Um, aside from ick, you can get some minor fungal infections, usually from open wounds. You'd be surprised in salt water if you just keep good water quality. A lot of that stuff will heal on its own. Popeye is sometimes of a an issue. I don't mean Popeye the sailor man. I mean where a fish's eye will actually physically start to pop out away from the body a little bit. Generally, it's just from that fish hitting that eye on something. Nine times out of ten, just, again, good water quality. It'll go back on its own. No medication needed. Um, clownfish, one of the big things with clown is is brookinella. Um, brookinella is pretty much clownfish specific. Problem with it, it doesn't usually show signs until it's too late anyway. But one of the treatments is copper as well. Well, that's good to know. Now, actually, uh, one of the old school methods that I've been reading in one of my uh, saltwater beginner books that I have is they actually suggest doing a freshwater bath. Is this really necessary to cure some of the saltwater diseases? No. If anything, it only causes more stress to the fish. Um, will a freshwater bath kill, say, saltwater ick? Yeah. It's the idea behind hyposalinity. It can't handle a low salinity. The problem is all you're doing is killing what's on that fish. You're not killing what's in the tank. That ick is still going to be present in your tank. So when you put that fish back in there, guess what? The ick is still there. So it's not practical anymore. So it's better to cure the whole entire tank instead of just the fish. It's more practical not to ever let it get in your tank, hence why you quarantine. But yes, you want you want your tank completely ick free. That's very true. Or and disease, you were right about the uh, you were right about the quarantine. I th I don't think we can stress enough how important quarantine is. Yes, it's it really is paramount. I, I hopefully believe and I hopefully hope that a lot of the fish stores will 
quarantine their fish. But again, like I said, I'm hoping, which I already know, nine times out of ten doesn't happen. No. I you'll get fish stores that'll show you fish in the tank. Oh yeah, we're quarantining these fish. No, those are fish that you saw had visible signs of something and now you're treating it. I can't tell you how many stores I've gone into and you see ick on however many types of fish. Um, I don't know if you want to get into it on today's episode, but personally, I love fish stores that run single filters in each tank because if there's something in that tank, it's only in that tank. Whereas the companies and the fish stores that run the sumps, if it's in one tank and it's connected to the same sump as six other tanks, whatever's in that tank is now in all six of those tanks. I agree with you. I I love the single filter tanks as well. I'm not sure if any of my fish stores have that. I'll have to ask them and I'll have to check, but I, I love the single filter option. It's I mean... I'm not saying don't buy from somebody that has a couple tanks on the same sump. But if I'm doing that, literally, even if they're tanks of fish I don't plan on buying, I'm still looking at those fish to see if those fish are healthy. That's very good information. So, but even, uh, let's... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry for interrupting again. But No, you're, you're fine. I should have answered quicker. Um, but even if... I'm completely confident I'm buying a healthy fish. You still should quarantine it. That's very that's very important. I actually, in the freshwater hobby, learned that very hard when I when I bought like a forty to fifty dollar uh, L two hundred Greenfin Pleco, and I didn't quarantine them. He cost my whole tank. So that forty dollar Pleco cost me about two hundred dollars when I was keeping fancy Plecos. So in saltwater, it could be even more than that. Easily, it can it can escalate into the thousands quickly. So make sure you uh, have a quarantine tank set up. Now you really don't even need decorations for a quarantine tank, would you? No, you want some security, so you want something for the fish to be able to hide in or around. Um, you don't want to put live rock in there because the two methods that you treat most saltwater stuff is going to kill everything on the live rock. So you could use PCB piping. You can use some of the fake decor, caves, castles. It doesn't matter. It's a quarantine tank. It doesn't have to look nice like your main display tank. Here about them too, right? Yes. It's a lot easier, let's say, for copper treatment. Copper is very specific as to dosing. So a bare-bottom tank, if you have a 20-gallon tank and you have it full, is 20 gallons of water. You don't have to worry about displacement, where if you have 10 pounds of sand in there, and then you're you're getting into guessing, and the sand's going to absorb some of the medication. It's just a lot easier to have bare bottom, and it's just, it just makes life a lot easier for you. Awesome, sounds good. So let's talk about feeding the fish. Now, what are some of the foods that you recommend to feed saltwater fish? Ah. Uh, Personally, I'm a big fan of frozen foods. Um, you can do it a couple different ways. There's a lot of people that make their own. They'll go to the grocery store. They'll buy saltwater fish, whether it's haddock, cod, whatever. They'll buy some shrimp, um, clam, 
take it home, blend it up, and then they'll freeze it into whatever portions they want. You can add some of your mineral, your minerals, vitamins like uh, silicon. You can add garlic if you think that's helpful. Some people think garlic's good for fish. Some people think it doesn't do anything. To each their own. Um, myself, I do enough work when I'm at work. I'm happy to go buy frozen food. Um, my primary foods are frozen mysis shrimp, frozen spirulina brine. I will give some of my puffers and my larger fish clams on the half shell. Um, occasionally, I'll mix in uh, plankton. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. And the more variety you can give saltwater fish, the more nutrition, the more different types of vitamins and stuff like that they're going to get. But the, one of the most important things is, and this is really important when we're talking about larger predatory fish, you don't want to feed saltwater fish freshwater food. So, like, you don't want to be, when I said you can make your own, you don't want to use freshwater shrimp. You want saltwater shrimp. It's just the makeup of the meat is totally different between the two. And if you feed saltwater fish freshwater protein, it'll actually start to cause uh, the liver to malfunction, abnormal growths, and they start building up fatty tissues. It's very common in a lot of like lionfish because so many people feed them freshwater goldfish. It's cheap. It's easy. Totally not good for the fish, though. So is market shrimp uh, considered like a saltwater shrimp, like a shrimp you buy at the grocery store? It's t If you ask, they would tell you. What's really popular now is Thailand farms a lot of shrimp, but they're freshwater shrimp. So you specifically, if you're looking at a package, you want raw saltwater shrimp. And it'll tell you on the package if it's raw or if it's, I'm sorry, if it's freshwater or saltwater. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So we got to make sure that we're using saltwater shrimp. Saltwater shrimp, saltwater fish. You can feed them salmon. It's just you want saltwater salmon, not the freshwater salmon. That's Generally, if it's farmed, it's going to be freshwater. Very good to know. So is there anything else that you think our listeners should know for tonight's show? Uh I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty good tonight. Yeah, you did a great job today like you did last week. This is actually a very more informative show. You did a great job tonight. Well, I thank you, sir. So uh, what would we like to talk about next for next week? Uh, I don't know. What are you thinking? You hmm. want to go, you want to get into some of the different fish themselves, pros, cons, doesn't matter. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do the, the pros and cons of keeping tangs in an aquarium. That works we'll for me. With... Awesome. That sounds good. So we'll do that next Tuesday. That sounds like a plan, sir. All right. You have a great weekend, and thank you so much for being here tonight. Oh, no problem. You too. Have a good week. You too. All right, uh, Saltwater Fish Keepers, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to tonight's episode of Saltwater Aquarium Hour. We hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and we hope that you will enter the saltwater aquarium world and pick up a couple of saltwater fish. Now, before I go, I'd like to remind everybody 
I actually have my very own saltwater aquarium right now. It's a 29-gallon aquarium, and I have cycling currently. And my plan is to add a pair of clownfish on Halloween or November 1st, as long as my tank is cycling and my ammonia is where it needs to be, at zero or very low. So right now the tank looks clear, and I am pretty sure it is cycling because I'm using live rock and some life rock from Carib Sea, so that's pretty good. And uh, if you want updates on my saltwater aquarium, please check out my YouTube channel, Alex's Adventures, and I will post weekly and monthly saltwater tanks updates on there for you. So go check out Alex's Adventures. So special thanks to Salty J for teaching us about saltwater fish and saltwater invertebrates for beginners. I'd like to say thank you to Donovan for calling in tonight and listening live to the show. Very good supporter of my fish keeping shows and all my shows. And a good shout out to a good buddy of mine who is listening to the show right now. And that is um, Jeremy. And Jeremy Stellhorn is a great guy. Gives me advice on podcasting. And he's a wonderful guy. So thank you, Jeremy, for tuning into the show. And thank you all for tuning into the tonight's episode. We will see you for our next episode of Saltwater Aquarium Hour next Tuesday. Saltwater Fish Keepers, thank you for tuning in to tonight's episode of Saltwater Aquarium Hour. We hope that you will consider getting your first saltwater fish in tonight. Remember, selfish I want to this fish to go out with the care of selfish Respect the aquarium hobby, respect the saltwater fish, and all the saltwater hobby. Alice Cardinelli and Salty Shay, thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Saltwater Aquarium Hour.